This is a guided practice from Skillful Means Podcast, featuring Sarah Jane Shangra. We hope you enjoy. In this guided practice, I'll share some thoughts on the first of the Four Noble Truths, or allow me to call them the Four Ennobling Tasks from Buddhism, and then we'll meditate. This offering comes from what has been in my heart and mind as we move through a holiday season here now in late 2020 that is rife with more than the typical holiday stress. Last year at this time, we offered an episode about holiday stress that focused on ways to maintain a practice when the shakeup of routine or alternate location or even the family members you're with may get tricky. But as I'm speaking now, I think about how we never could have imagined what the year would bring. The novel coronavirus was sickening people in Asia at that time, but was not yet widespread, and only the most brilliant and prescient epidemiologists and other public health researchers and officials may have had an inkling of what was possibly to come. And several crises would accelerate at once. Social, political, environmental, and of course the health crisis that is surging again in so many areas now, and that is keeping many of us apart from the loved ones we may have begrudged a bit during holidays past. Perhaps for you, As for me, some aspects of life during the time of COVID-19 have clarified what is important. And what is important includes family, near and far, in a way that feels new and potent. Two years ago at this time, I was at a learning retreat packed into a space with hundreds of people, something I can't quite imagine right now. I remember there was a pop-up bookstore outside the hall, stocked with Dharma books and staffed by people who worked for the larger brick-and-mortar shop. The staff were not necessarily familiar with the subject matter of the books they were selling. There was no reason they needed to be. And as I was browsing... And making small talk one day, the cashier asked me why it seemed, from the titles, so many Buddhist books are about depressing things. She had leafed through a few and noted that they were, her words, all about suffering. And she was confused because the books seemed negative, but all of her customers seemed like very happy people. I told her I knew what she meant and asked her if she had ever heard the expression, the only way out is through. She had, and I said it's like that. When we meditate, we turn toward the hard stuff. And we learn to relate to it in a new way. And this fresh perspective actually generates joy pretty easily. 
sometimes. I realized later I had given what was essentially an elevator pitch for Buddhism, but I hadn't even used the words craving or path or enlightenment. But the chat was really about the heart of the matter, suffering. In the Sanskrit and Pali, dukkha, which is also translated as unsatisfactoriness or the painful. The first thing the Buddha taught after liberation, after awakening into freedom, was the four ennobling tasks. Now, as some of you may know, I'm purposefully using the word ennobling as opposed to noble. And many teachers point out that the word task in place of truths would also be more accurate. Hence the four ennobling tasks. Why? Because these four things are not so much a set of truths to be believed, but tasks to be undertaken. And to undertake them is ennobling. It builds character. Relating that to dukkha, where the first noble truth is often conveyed as there is suffering in life, we might say the first ennobling task is to comprehend suffering within us. It's arising and passing away in the space of moments. To clearly comprehend it is to know the conditions that create it, what feeds it, what antidotes it, what is present in its absence. Of course, now I'm moving on to the other tasks. To abandon craving, to realize its cessation, and to develop the path, the context that supports our work with these tasks. Those are the three others. But focusing on suffering a bit longer. Beyond life's so-called inarguables, the suffering of sickness, old age, and death, there is the secondary pain and distress we unnecessarily heap on ourselves by letting our untrained minds run amok. This secondary pain and distress, the mental anguish, is caused by the mind going outside to satisfy its moods. Going outside and counting on, betting on things to satisfy our cravings, which is always a losing bet, of course, because nothing we rely on for satisfaction is reliable. Everything is in flux and will eventually fail in the responsibility we give it for our happiness. Through mindfulness, we come to know suffering and how it operates within, and we also come to know it as a human condition, a condition of the world, this reality, this relative reality we have available to us. And so contemplating dukkha is opening up to the suffering of the world. Comprehending dukkha is the ultimate openness, acceptance of things 
as they are. Now, we practice. We go back to methods again and again, whereby we seat our contemplation in our body and open our heart-mind, perhaps clearly comprehending our relationship to suffering. If clear comprehension of the ways in which we generate suffering is possible, abandonment of suffering may be possible too. I invite you now to settle into a comfortable and dignified posture for meditation. Starting by feeling the body, particularly at our points of contact, where our body rests on whatever is below us. In those areas, we may detect sensations, textures, temperature a sense of weightedness, hereness. You might take a few cycles of breath that are a little bit bigger than they would otherwise be. Vivid inhales and relaxing exhales full and complete. A few cycles of breath like that. And then, let the breath settle into its own natural rhythm. But stay with it. We are grounded with a sense of where the body is in space, connected to what's below. And we can feel the body breathe. Opening up now, opening our awareness to the fullness of the life that's available to us right now. Perceiving sensations, feeling emotions, noticing the arising the generation of thoughts. We are not grasping 
for any particular experience. Whatever we notice can be noted. We can be with it without giving it energy, particularly the thoughts, which can be so compelling. Not helping them in any way. Not becoming involved in their perpetuation. Simply witnessing. Feelings in the body and activities in the heart-mind. Feeling the flow of experience, moment by moment. The idea is not to become overwhelmed by the inner life that is available to us right now. It is simply to comprehend its ever-changing nature. It can be helpful to bring a spacious quality to your awareness of experience. With a spacious awareness, a vast, open, big sky mind, we can be with the arising and passing away of experience at a distance. The exquisite interplay of sensations, energies, emotions, thoughts do not take up all the room there is. They may arise here and there, now and then.
Our awareness does not contract around them. No need to zero in. Relaxed. Spacious. Before our last couple of minutes in this meditation, I'd like to offer words from another teacher, Stephen Scatini. We are all faced with the same fundamental choice of calming the mind or letting it go its own scattered way. Leaving it to the caprice of unplumbed emotions, leads to a life that's mysterious in all the wrong ways. This is an invitation to open the mind to experience turning toward it.
if in opening up to the life that's available to you in your body, heart, and mind, some difficult material has arisen. There is no need to exclude it. It might be useful instead to take a hand to the heart and whisper this too. This too is worthy of my attention and inclusion. 